The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 3, Rand's Teenage Angst. Hello, everyone. It is so great to be back We took about a week off for the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States, but we're back and ready to keep talking about the Wheel of Time. My name is Justin, and you know we could not uh, talk about the Wheel of Time without my good buddy, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing this week? I am doing good. Uh, You know, Thanksgiving was, uh, or, you know, Thanksgiving... It's just a great holiday. As 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 we're recording this, it hasn't actually been Thanksgiving yet. We're, we'll we'll be upfront about that, but um, you know, we're we we won't be releasing this one until after Thanksgiving. So you know, uh, we're we're kind of what living in the future, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, which is fine by me because I mean, Thanksgiving is my wife's favorite holiday, and it is my second favorite. Okay. Followed, followed by, followed after. Uh, for me, Christmas. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I do love Thanksgiving, and of course, you know, best thing about Thanksgiving is the food. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, so I, <laughs> this is not a traditional Thanksgiving dish. Uh oh. Uh, but it is something that I get every Thanksgiving, and it's the only time I get them. Uh, my grandmother makes these, it's a family recipe that her mother taught her, they're butter tarts. Okay. They're not a traditional Southern Thanksgiving thing. My yeah. grandmother's Canadian. So, you know, it's a lot of raisins and oats and uh, these buttery pastry shells and this, uh, this, uh, like almost like a pie filling type goo that goes in the middle, uh. I just love them, and okay. I get them on Thanksgiving. Every blue moon, I might get. She might make a batch on Christmas, but hey, Thanksgiving's the one time I know for sure I can get them. It's part of your Thanksgiving tradition. Yep. So that makes them a traditional Thanksgiving dish. You know, I am. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer for me would be the turkey. Um, <laughs> if if you've ever seen the movie, and I'm sure many have, uh, the movie The Christmas Story. Uh, I'm kind of like the dad when it comes to turkey. I I just can't get enough, and uh, you know I'll keep going back and grazing for hours at a time until I just you know the the tryptophan makes me just pass out on the floor, right? Um, but I, I will oops knocking my stuff around. Uh, I will say that um, a couple of years ago, for the very first time, I tried a sweet potato casserole. Um, and she's probably not listening, but I have to apologize to my mother for this one because 
for years, anytime there was a family gathering, that was her dish. And I never tried it. (laughs) Uh, A couple of years ago, my mother-in-law made it and I tried it for the first time. And I mean, it's kind of like having a dessert and a side dish at the same time. Yeah, especially if you get if she's the kind that does the like my wife does and does the brown sugar and the pecans on top, and it's I don't remember if she had any pecans, but oh man, it was just so good. Um, yeah. Mouth is watering just thinking about it. I uh, cannot wait. <laughs> um, but we're here to talk Wheel of Time, so why don't we why don't we get into that? As <laughs> this week we're going to be talking about. The Dragon Reborn, book three of The Wheel of Time. We're going to be in chapters five and six. So listeners, if um, you haven't read those chapters yet, go ahead and hit the pause button and go ahead and go read those. It shouldn't take you too long. Then come back, hit that play button again, and we'll be right here waiting for you. So you ready to dive in? I'm ready. All right. We will start in chapter five. Nightmares walking. The Twisted Ones have come. Perrin awakens to find Trollocs coming into the camp just as Lan starts rousing everyone to fight. Wolves join the fray and Young Bull fights alongside his brothers. The battle is won, but some things it seems were simply meant to be. And others may not be as set in stone as some think that they are. So this is something that I kind of feel like we, you know, at least so far, these first three books, this has become a staple of, you know, a Wheel of Time book. Early on in the story, we get this big fight with Trollocs, right? Yep. I mean, it was very early on in book one. We had the the raid on Faldara in book two. Now here we are, these the twisted ones come into the camp, and it is, it's an epic fight. Yeah. Uh, we get to see some really cool uh, uh, glimpses, I guess you could say, of um, different area, different things that are going on in the fight. Yeah, it is very uh, interesting how that synergy is there with the three first books of the series. Uh, all having this early onset fight with Trollocs. Uh, yeah. It's it's neat, and you know we've talked about people fighting, uh, and we've had the fights described to us several times at this point. But I still think there's something just uh, almost poetic in how uh, you know they describe like Lan as he goes out to fight. It's almost like he's dancing amongst yeah. the Trollocs. Like it's it's so different than what you see with everybody else when it comes to land, like it's the level of competence and battle that he, it's almost effortless for him with these Trollocs. It's like other people are, you know, fighting tooth and nail and clashing and land is just like weaving amongst them. Death incarnate. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, uh, it really speaks to just what kind of level he's on compared to a normal, like even, the other people that are fighting in this battle are the Shinarans, people that have been fighting in the Borderlands their entire lives. Sure. And and Lan, even to them, Lan is like a battle god. <laughs> right, right. Uh he, he he definitely is something special when it comes to uh when it comes to the sword. Yeah. Um for sure. So 
But, um, you know, yeah, go ahead. And this is also the first real time we see loyal fighting. Like, we've seen him. We've seen him like, you know, manhandle a trollic or, you know, we saw him like defend himself. Yeah. In the second book, you know, when him and Rand are trying to sneak away with the trunk and stuff like that. We've seen stuff like that, but we have never seen him actually like pick up a weapon and fight. And it's pretty terrifying to hear like how an Ogier here fights. Like he's basically wielding a tree stump <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which we, at these trollics. We saw him make. Yeah. In book two, we saw him make that quarterstaff. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's basically wielding a tree at these people. And, like, you know, the, the book makes a point and Perrin notices that no, nothing that comes within range of that is living. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just a death ground. Anywhere, anything that comes near Royal. And he's not a trained fighter. It just tells you just the sheer power in an Ogier. <laughs> uh, you know, these Trollocs, these war machines are basically just falling where they stand when his quarterstaff cracks them you know breaking skulls and taking them down left and right. right well i mean we we have heard um i can't remember who we heard it from but we, we have heard that you don't want to make an enemy of an ogier yeah uh, i don't think many people make enemies of ogier just because of the nature of ogier themselves but if it comes to that it looks to me like they're pretty formidable yeah, uh, I think that actually what I think they've warned against is not to. It's just like with an Isodai, don't uh, anger like to re- invoke the anger of an Ogier is a is a horrible thing, and I think we saw a hint of that in uh, the second book, just the slightest little hint when Ran was purposefully trying to shove Will away, and he started uh. like picking on him about how he telling him how he was glad the groves were gone and things like that. And you saw that that little bit of a spark in Will. I think that was the tiniest hint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we get to see it in, in, in action here, and I have to say it's pretty exciting. And, I mean, really, it's just a glimpse. So I would love to see more. Yeah. Um, and I, somehow I got the feeling that we probably will at some point. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll wait and see. Um, but really this is, I guess most of this chapter is about Perrin's fight. It really is. I mean, we're still in his head here. Yeah. Yeah. Us and a bunch of other things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but he is, you know, so much of at least the first part of this chapter is his concern over Leah. Right. Uh, who's just a reminder, the Tuatha'an woman that came to talk with Moraine and men had a vision about her. And of course, Perrin is going to be naturally afraid after that. And uh, he saves her from one Trolloc, at least one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, di- directly saves her. He fights a couple before that, but he does. Yeah. yeah, he does directly save her from one Trolloc. There, there was one that was about to go for her. And yeah. he managed to to get it to turn away and and took it out. But there was also a, uh, I guess a, a a more dangerous enemy 
Yeah. As as he approached Leah, there there is which I mean I guess we should expect that there's gonna be a Murdral involved. Yeah. And he says something very intriguing. You wanna talk yeah. about that? Yeah, so he mentioned the tripod. Yeah. He said, if, if you destroy one leg of the tripod, the whole thing falls. Yeah, I, I've got the quote. It's, cut one leg of the tripod and all fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, what's he talking about? <laughs> well, he's I'm gonna, talking I'm going to let you tell us. He's talking about our Taviran trio here. Uh, yeah. Brand, Matt, and Perrin. Uh, the wheel is weaving them together. Right. And they are dependent upon one another. It's something that we also see in that dreams we talked about last week. Uh, or in our last episode, I should say. Uh, that they really want, at this point, with Rand making the decisions he's making, you can tell that the Shadow is now more concerned with doing what it can to cut out the things that could aid Rand. They tried in book two to get rid of the girls. Sure. Now they're going after the, the other two boys. Right. And and so far we've only seen, you know, who knows what's happening with Matt. We haven't seen Matt right. at all. I mean, we're we're only five chapters in, but we, we, we know last we knew of Matt, he was on his way to Tarvalin to uh, be healed of his connection with the dagger. Though um, Rand and Perrin do mention it's been long enough that at this point he should have he, made it there in, and he should already be healed at this yeah. point. But we don't know. No, we have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, I, I guess what is interesting to me about that is that the Shadow knows that yeah. there are these three Taviran that are so close together and they know who they are. Maybe that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, we know that Baal Zaman knows who they are, knows how important they are, but, you know, it, it, I guess it just confirms even further that the Shadow knows who they're trying to deal with. Yeah, because here's the thing you got to realize. The Shadow, especially the Forsaken, are powerful channelers. Yeah. Um, with abilities that we don't have in the Aes Sedai currently. Right. On the side of the light. Uh you know, one of those abilities that is now incredibly rare, and uh, we mentioned, we saw it with Elida, is foretelling. So right. it is okay. completely possible that amongst the Forsaken, one of them has the gift of foretelling, or there are quote unquote dark prophecies, just like there are prophecies of the dragon. Okay. Uh, so there may be sources of knowledge that they have access to that we don't. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense. You know, that, that the Aes Sedai are completely oblivious to. Or, uh, you know, it could just be Balzaman having spent so much time in these boys' dreams yeah. that he has been able to glean what is happening. Before we, we talk about the wolves, I want to talk about, there's this moment with Leah as as Perrin is preparing to fight the Murdral, and ultimately this seals her fate, but she... The way I read it is she basically attempts to grapple the Murdral. Yes. Uh, wrap around his legs. And what I'm wondering is, it doesn't, at least the way I understand it, that doesn't sound like the way of the leaf. Aha! I was prepared for this question. You were prepared for this question. All yes. right. Uh, 
Actually, I would argue it's the exact opposite. Okay. I would argue that what Leah is doing here is actually the epitome of the way of the leaf. Okay, she's explain not that to a, me. She's not attacking the Murdral. Okay. She's trying to stop the Murdral from attacking. She is trying to do, just like she says over and over, even in the beginning of this book, she talks about how to do violence does just as much damage to the one who does it than the other. What Leah's doing right here is twofold. One, she's concerned for Perrin. Right. But the other, what I see her doing right here, is she is extending the way of the leaf beyond what most people would. She is literally trying to stop the, the Murdral from inflicting violence. She's trying to bring the way of the leaf to the Murdral. <laughs> wow. Like, okay. She's she's trying so hard. She doesn't want violence done, whether it be by evil, by good, doesn't matter who. She's doing what she feels like she can to stop the violence. Okay. All right. Well, that 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 answers my question for sure. That is very interesting. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh but because she's very careful not to actively attack. Yeah. She's only trying to stop. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I definitely, I, all I read it, you know, I read, I knew, I read it as though she were trying to stop him, but I just read it as though she were trying to protect Perrin yeah. in that. I didn't really read anything, but at the same time, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense with what we know about that, that way of life. Uh, and the thing she was saying earlier. So, yeah, wow, spot on. Uh, unfortunately, it, uh, it it spells her demise. And, and, and seemingly with um, no effort, the, the Murdral takes her life. And, you know, before all is said and done, we, we see men's vision come true. Yeah. Because uh, Perrin, in the midst of the battle, and we'll talk, more about Perrin's fight in a moment, but in the midst of the battle, he finds her, and it's just what men had seen. Her face covered in blood, her eyes staring blankly. Uh, yeah. So this is, you know, some things, as we said, were, were simply meant to be. Uh, yeah. Men was not wrong. When she saw that Leah would die, she, she knew what she was seeing. Yeah. So... I, I think there's there's a point. Uh, keep a pin in that thought, because when we get to some later chapters, we're going to talk about some stuff, and I want to circle back around to that what you just said about men there. Okay, I'm not exactly sure. Important. You I'm not exactly sure important. what I said, but <laughs> you remind <laughs> me of it, it when we get to that point yeah. in the book. Um, yeah. All right, uh, let's get to the big. The the big moment of this chapter, or the the big theme of this chapter, is Young Bull joins the fight. Yeah, finally. <laughs> and you know, we we remember that Young Bull is the name that the wolves have given to Perrin. Is is it? It's the name the wolves have given to him. Is that right? Correct. Okay. I couldn't remember if he came up with it or they did, but it, I, I thought I was I was right at for in the first way. It's kind uh, of a blending because yeah. you know he tries at the beginning to like send a mental image of what he thinks of himself, and it gets you know 
they interpret it a certain way and then it just kind of grows and morphs right. and that's what they begin to call him. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, when the wolves show up, uh, and, and I love the way this is done. It's so artfully done in the narrative that in those moments, you know, he's not Perrin, he's Young Bull. Yeah. Like even in the narrative, he stops using his name and, and calls him young bull and we we see um you know he's well when he kills the the murdral which you know the the neverborn uh which yeah. i love that name um when he kill he he kills it the way that a wolf would kill right hamstring and throat uh but at the same time it's concerning <laughs> and and I think Perrin recognizes that too as we get later into the chapter that his you know he doesn't want to become a wolf. Yeah. He's he's afraid of that and I'm kind of afraid of that form because I thought he got pretty close. Yeah. See, I have a theory with Perrin right here. I think this is a personal theory. This is not necessarily based on future knowledge or anything like that. Just let readers and listeners know that. I think what we see here with this almost dual personality, I think the extreme nature of the young bull personality is a direct result of how Perrin has been trying so hard to separate himself from the wolves. He's focused so much in the last few months on trying not to be to go any closer to the wolves, try not to, to be more like the wolves, that in his mind, he has shoved all of that so far that it has almost created, like, I think it has, whereas with, like, Elias, you saw much more, he was the same, whether right. he was with the wolves or not. Perrin has almost, it's almost a mental condition that he has separated himself into two people. Okay, wow. Um, in his head. That there's Perrin and there's Young Bull, and I think he has pushed so much of the more animalistic things out that that's the side that comes out when he gives in to Young Bull is that more animalistic, even for a wolf, he, Young Bull is pretty extreme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a direct mental result of the war that's been going on within Perrin this whole time. Yeah, there, there's there's even, I have this written down, you know, there's even that moment he considers just dropping the axe and yep. and, and using his teeth, running on all fours. Uh, yeah. So he, he came really close to, I think, losing himself. Yeah. And and becoming young bull in, 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 in fullness. Uh, but thankfully he does get brought back and he is... Perrin again. I hope that he, uh, I hope that he, because, because I'm not going to lie, that this wolf connection, I think is very valuable. I, I think it can be a good thing. I just hope he can learn how to manage it. I have another question for you. Uh oh. You're asking me questions. Yes. Uh oh. So, how much, uh, do you think, as much as he protests and fights it, how much do you think that there is a big part of Perrin that is actually enjoying 
the freedom he experiences when he gives into the wolves. Oh, absolutely. Because as a person, Perrin's entire thing is he has grown his entire life fearing that he would hurt others. Yeah. Trying to curtail himself, make himself smaller. And when he's with the wolves, that's the one time that he feels like he can be completely free. Absolutely. I, and wasn't wasn't there something along those lines mentioned um, that, you know, it was such a difference from, yeah. you know, he, he nobody thinking that he's nobody yeah. thinking that he's slow simply because he takes time to think nobody, you know, him not having to worry, like you said, about hurting anybody because he's so much bigger. Uh, it, I like the, the word that you used. It's freedom. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Um, anything else about young bull that we want to, we want to mention? Uh, uh, just the fact that Perrin as a, as Perrin is frozen in his tracks at the site of a merge roll, just like we've seen everybody be. Sure. But when he gives in and lets Young Bull take over, Young Bull isn't afraid. It's that moment when he's able to take down the Murdral. It's because he's able, as giving into the wolves, he's able to overcome his fear. Just like all the wolves, they don't let fear stop them from doing what has to be done. Right. And when he gives into that side, it no longer stops him anymore. Even this almost supernatural fear that the merge all can inflict on people. The wolves give him a manner of, I guess, almost protection from that. Uh, interesting. In my opinion. So it's, it's an interesting little thing there that happens uh, because before that, you know, he's, he wants to go to Leah. He wants to do all this, but he's frozen yeah. and he, he's terrified and he can't. Uh, but then when he gives in to that wolf side, all of a sudden, He's able to attack and think and go and do, and that's when he kills the Murdral. Well, let's let's move on to after the the battle, and I, I guess the battle kind of ends with you know Perrin howling with his brothers, and then he he gets brought back. But um, before I, I just wanted to mention this moment before you know he gets a whole lot of awkward questions. I love that moment with uh, the way Lan honors him. Um. You know, Tyshar, Manetherin, Tyshar, Andor, true blood of Manetherin, true blood of Andor. I just, uh, I just really enjoyed that. I thought it was a cool moment. Um, I don't have yeah. anything else to say about it. I just thought it was cool. <laughs> no, I think, and it's, it's, it's very kind of Lan, especially when just like Perrin realizes why Lan did it. Yeah. It wasn't just a battle thing. It was Lan who is actually probably the only person in the camp right now who really even has the smallest idea of what is happening to Perrin. Yeah. And Lan is in his way, just like he... We see this with Lan a lot. He's become attached to these kids from Edmondsfield. He really has. And so <laughs> he goes out of his way to try and protect them in his own way when he can. And that's what he's doing here. He's trying to throw people and get people to forget about what they just saw because he doesn't want people asking questions. So he knows there's a bunch of Shinarans around, so he just throws up this ancient, you know, compliment battle cry because it's going to get their minds thinking on, oh, yes, Manetherin, and, yeah. Yeah. and not thinking about the man who just sat there and howled with a bunch of wolves. Uh -huh. <laughs> you, you mentioned something that I, I guess brought back a, a memory, is that um, Lan knows Elias, right? 
or Correct. knows of Elias. So yeah, he, kind he knows of, who he was. Yeah, he understands what's going on with Perrin. Uh, I guess, uh, like you said, a little bit more or a lot more than anybody else does. Yeah, because um, we haven't really we get the impression, especially uh, as things progress, that Moraine really has no idea what's going on with Perrin. Yeah. Like she has like the vaguest idea. But she's bumbling in the dark when it comes to him, for the most part. It's like she she uh, she knows the basics, yeah. Right. She she knows he has some connection with the wolves. Yep. That's about it. Yep. So it, it's an interesting situation here because you know usually you look to Moraine for all the answers. And yeah. In this one case, it's Land who who has the best idea of what's happening, and even then, it's still shaky. But Lan just sees it as something. Lan also has a different perspective on wolves than a lot of people. Like okay. he agrees with Perrin that wolves fight the shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas most people see the wolves as predators and beasts. Yeah, and 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 speaking of that, that that brings an interesting moment out of Perrin after the battle, uh, as they're kind of starting to, you know, I guess take take stock of. You know their yeah. losses, their 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 casualties. Um, it's this moment when um, I think it was Uno who mentioned it, maybe about using the wolf skins to keep warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Perrin is having none of that. No, like no. Perrin is like no. Kill that noise. That ain't happening. They fought with us. They're going to receive the same honor that our men receive. Yeah. Graves for the wolves. The, this is probably the only wolf graveyard in the world that's about to happen here. Uh, I like it. I'm I'm here yeah. for it. Uh, I complete. Even I, I would you know even if he didn't have that connection, I I think you know. I would be right there with Perrin. You know, they fought on our side. Yeah, uh, they they deserve they deserve the honor. Um, for sure. But um, what else have we got going on with Perrin in in this uh, here at the end of of the battle? Yeah. Um. Let's see. I don't know. We have a ton left with with Perrin here. Other than the fact, I did want to bring up this point. Um, this entire time, the entire chapters leading up to now, there has been this like buzzing yeah. in Perrin's head, and he he knew it was the wolves, and he was pushing it away. In so doing, he created the scenario that just happened, because he's been warned for days what was coming. Yeah, but he refused to listen to the warners. Uh. People were, the wolves were trying their best to get a message to him to the point that one of them had to invade his dreams, <laughs> which <laughs> right. wasn't easy because he kept trying to push them out of those too. But yeah. eventually one of them broke through and that's the only reason he had the warning that he did, Yeah, which allows him to actually be the first one to be alert. He's actually alerted before Lan by a few seconds right? because of the wolves. Yeah. But, you know, this whole situation could have been avoided if he had listened instead of forcing them out. Sounds to me like Perrin's got some 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 learning to do. There there's a learning curve yeah. there. 
Um, but I, you know, at the same time, I, I understand, you know, his, his fear, his trepidation in this because I mean, in part because of what just happened, but I mean, just yeah, uh, everything going on with him in general, I can understand that. But, uh, you know, before we blame Perrin too much for, uh, not being able to warn everybody what was coming, there was somebody else who apparently, uh, could have known what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, apparently, yeah, we, Rand says that um, he felt the Trollocs coming. He just didn't know what it was. Yeah, because it kind of something was coming, but he had no idea what. Yeah, he he, he said they kind of feel the same as the taint on Sidine, and since Sidine's always there, he didn't really recognize it for what it was. But he knew that there was something there, and of course, he's. He's still wrestling with himself anyway. He, um, Rand, at this point, is stumbling very much in the dark. Yeah. Uh, he's and, trying, but he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, well, that's that's for sure. You know, there was that one moment where I was reading it, I think for the second time I was going through it, and I didn't catch it the first time, but uh, at the beginning of the battle when the trees started catching fire, Yeah, and I was like, I know. I don't think Moraine did that because we were just told quite clearly what she was doing. See, it's and, written in a way though that you're to think that maybe she did because they're riding fire at the same time that she is setting fire to Trollocs. Yeah. So it, when you read it the first time, it almost makes you seem like okay, maybe they're getting lit on fire because she's trying to like light the area or something. Right. But yeah. then you realize no. I I completely missed it the first time through, but going through it again, I I, I took notice of it. And I was like, wait a minute. We do know we have another channeler here in the camp, and it turns out that's exactly what happened. And and unfortunately, as Rand sees it, that's all he was able to do. Um, yeah, and that and fight with himself on whether or not to just bring down the mountain on top of all of them. Yeah. So the thing is, he didn't even set the trees on fire on purpose. Right. He didn't know he what did, he was doing. He did. He did what Rand has done in almost every battle. That he's dealt with. All the fights he's had with Balsamon. He just pulls in as much of the power as he can hold. And then he has to put it somewhere. Right. He doesn't know how he's doing it. He's just shoving it away before he burns himself to pieces. And that's what he did here. Just like he did with the earthquake. Yeah. It's just him. He doesn't know what to do with the power when he has it. Not to mention he can't always have it when he needs it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> And that that's a cause for concern, and I think that gets brought up in the in the next chapter. But uh, just you know, one other thing I think worth mentioning is his, well, he's he's brooding, right? We mentioned, I believe, last episode that he kind of reminds me of uh, Harry Potter in Book Five, Order of the Phoenix. You know, angsty yes. Harry, yeah, or, or caps lock Harry, as some people like to call him. Um, he, he kind of has that same feel to it. He's he's real angsty about everything. Real, uh, you know, he feels like he can't be trusted. But at the same time, uh, he feels like you know there's all this stuff that he has to do because it's prophesied. And and Moraine is like, well, you know, you got to be careful with prophecy. Not everything can be taken at, at face value. And she even says, I have it written down for everything. It says straight out. There are ten things that could mean a hundred different things. 
Yeah. So she has to kind of correct him on that, and I think that might come up a little bit in the next chapter as well. We're going to talk a little bit about prophecy. Yeah. Um, well, the, and the the thing is here, she's chas- like she is upset because he's just sitting there on that on the stump, just blah, 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 and the whole time he's been brooding over there. He's been bleeding out. That's true. Yeah. Because that wound that he got at the end of the last book has come open again. The wound that won't let itself heal properly. Right. And he makes the comment about how the, the blood of the dragon on the rocks of Shalgul, you know, all that. And she's like, who the heck told you that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, she is like coming undone on him. Like you idiot. Yeah. Um, Uh, he 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 has, you know, he he's known about this for such a short time, but already he has a hero complex, right? Yeah. He already, you know, I mean, and I mean, maybe not without reason, because you know the dragon is supposed to be the the one who fights the shadow. But come on, Rand, uh, you're not there I yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's trying to ex. He's trying to be responsible and accept his duty, but he's doing it like a spoiled teenager. Yeah. Like, he's not actually trying to be responsible. He's just trying to play at what he thinks he should be doing. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, oh, I have to do this, so let's just get it over with. Yeah. It's very teenage angst. I hate stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, it... The whole situation with Rand here, it, it is very interesting, and I think it's very well done by Jordan for us to be able to see Rand like this from someone else's perspective. Because we spend so much time in the first two books in Rand's head that this is our first chance to really get to see what everybody else is seeing when he's acting like this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really, it's not pleasant to behold. No. Uh, let's move on to chapter six, if if you're ready for that. Let's go. All right. Chapter six, the hunt begins. Rand has disappeared in the night, and after discussion of prophecy and dreams, Moraine thinks that she knows where. It seems that this camp is going to be going a few different ways, but Perrin and Loyal will be traveling with Moraine and Lan. But before they depart, Men has an important warning for Perrin. So I like that title of the chapter, The Hunt Begins, because, you know, up until this point, we thought about the hunt. You know, we're thinking about the hunt of the horn, but no, this is the hunt of the dragon. Yeah. Uh, A legitimately, in my opinion, more important hunt. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very interesting what happens. You know, Rand's just poof. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like Perrin, Perrin goes to sleep, and he's awakened by by Lan, and all he says is, Rand is gone, and then yep. back out. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that pretty much, I mean, that the fact that Rand is gone consumes the whole chapter. That's what we're dealing with um, as we're kind of trying to figure out what happened, where he might have gone, and then making plans for, okay, what are the next steps? And uh, one thing we, we, we need to talk about are the Shinarans. Particularly, I think, Masima, Because uh, this is definitely not the same Masima that we saw in Book 2. The one who, 
you know, at one point wanted to run Rand through. Right. Uh, now he is, I mean, he, you know, he's almost like the, starting to feel like the grand leader of the cult of the dragon reborn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, that's a great way of putting it. I love uh, that. Uh, that that I that is a fantastic way to put to put that. I love it. <laughs> but I mean, he really is. That's what we're getting. He, he he goes on about all of this stuff about you know when uh well when they back in chapter five when they were talking about the wolves fighting for him, he's like, it's a sign the 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 wolves are fighting on our side. That's a sign that you know of the. The dra- the, they're going to come and fight for the dragon. And then in this chapter, he's, you know, at first he's trying to figure out where Rand might have gone. And then it's like, oh, he's he's gone out to spread the gospel of the dragon reborn. Or, right. Uh, that's not the exact wording he used, but it's it's something uh, along those lines. Uh, yeah, he really you definitely is. Get that Im- impression. Yeah, he, he really is. I mean, he's he's turning into the. The, almost turning into the cult leader of, of sorts, yeah. and uh, I'm interested to see where where this ends up with Masima and the Shinarans. Um, a little bit of uh, development for Perrin here too, isn't there? Yeah, um, there is here. You know, it's we see for the first time ever Perrin. Uh, and I don't know if it's because he's spurred on by the fact that his friend has disappeared or if he's just had enough and the stress of everything that's happened in the last few hours is, is hitting him. But for the first time ever, we see Perrin finally growing a freaking backbone. Either, uh, especially either when that comes... or he's growing a thick skull. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> with how he, he treats Moraine here. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you guys are probably tired of hearing me say this, but uh, I think there's a little bit of Taviran tugging going on in this whole thing, too. You, you, uh, you, you know, you're starting to sound like loyal. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I really uh, think there's some of that going on, that the pattern is pushing Perrin a, a certain direction, and he is... He is subconsciously, I think, using that Taviran nature for his own purposes here with Moraine. Yeah. Because not only does he stand up to her, but it seems to be effective. <laughs> I, I think I think so. It, it certainly is. I mean, um, you know, it, we, we get somewhere. Yeah. We, we actually get some answers out of Moraine. Yeah. Uh, that's something we didn't really have a whole lot of before. Yeah. And uh. for the first time... I think ever with Perrin, she's talking to him, not like a little child that she's trying to protect. She's talking to him like she would talk to anyone. Like She's talking to him here, almost like you see her talk with Lord Agelmar back in Faldara. Like on that kind of a level. Like there's a, mm. a measure of um, how she's speaking to him here that is a step above how she has... For the longest time, you know, how she spoke with Egwene, how she spoke with Matt, how she spoke with Perrin. It was all, it was very much like a mother hen with the chicks. And this yeah. is the first time we really see her approaching Perrin and responding to him 
still not, you know, not as she would like another Aes Sedai, or like with Lan, but there's a measure of respect here that is the first time we really see that in their yeah, relationship. Not not quite on equal footing, but a lot closer than they were before. Yeah. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction for sure. Well, Moraine has a keen interest in what everybody's been dreaming about. Yeah. And it all stems from Perrin talking about his dreams about the um the place where with all the red stone columns, that sword that is mm-hmm. not really a sword, and she recognizes immediately what he's talking about, that this is the the heart of the stone in tear. Yep. And actually I think it's it's land that says the name, but the sword is something known as Kalindor. Yeah. It's interesting here. Land puts two and two together that that's what the sword is. Right. Perrin already knows that, and, you know, when he goes and tells her all about the dream and everything, he leaves out that detail of the voice. Like, she, he does not tell her everything that she wants to know. He holds back part. He doesn't tell about the voice that came to him at the end of that dream. That's That that's told true. him, you know, that spoke to him like it was Kalendor calling him to take it. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't really pick up on that, but sure enough, that you're right. And I guess what's interesting here is M- Moraine instantly wants to know, well, what's everybody else been dreaming of? <laughs> because yeah. apparently we learn that um, those who are strong in the power can force their dream. Is that the right way to put it? They can force their dreams on others? So there's two aspects to it. One, a person who is strong in the power, especially if they are especially, strong in spirit, right? Um, their dreams can almost bleed over into those that are around them. Okay. Now, it can happen subconsciously, unwillingly, which I think is what's happening here with Rand. But on the reverse, what Moraine is also hinting at here is that those especially strong in spirit can force their dreams on other people as well. Yeah. So there is kind of a malevolent side to it as well. Okay. I don't think Rand is choosing to forcefully push his dreams on others, but because he, unlike uh, Moraine and Land, doesn't understand how to shield his dreams, and he is particularly strong in spirit, that subconsciously, just by being who he is, his his dreams are affecting those that are around him. Yeah, it's kind of bleeding out, and mm-hmm. every and, and it turns out nearly everybody in the camp has had the similar dreams. They've seen yeah. the places. Masima has even seen Ran holding the sword. Uh, of course he would. I, of course he would. <laughs> I love yeah, that. They, Moraine that even says that one would. <laughs> um, and it it confirms. Uh, for all intents and purposes, it confirms for Moraine that that seems to be where Rand is going. Yeah. Because there are prophecies yep. about the dragon, about the heart of, about the stone of Tear, and about Kalindor. Um, I have it written down here that according to Loyal, it said that the stone of Tear will never fall until Kalindor is wielded by the dragon's hand. And everybody, you know, kind of think, even, I think, 
goes on to say that if 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 that were to happen, well, that would be a sure sign that Rand is the Dragon Reborn, which again I think prompts Moraine to correct them about <laughs> how prophecy works, right? Right. Because we get several things mentioned here, most of which uh, I don't think we can really answer right now, uh, but they're yeah. worth making note of. So do we just want to go down this list and Yeah, I think it'd be briefly? fun to do that. All right. Well, uh, one thing that I, I feel like we've maybe touched on in the past was... Apparently, the dragon is supposed to break the nations and shatter the world. I yep. feel like that's kind of known, or at least speculated. Yeah. So that so, one, I, I don't guess, you know, I don't know Is there if there's anything else to say about that one. Just that that is the prophecy that is responsible for people thinking uh, that the dragon will, if the dragon comes, he'll break the world again. Yeah. That's where people get that idea from. Whether right. or not that's what that prophecy is actually talking about or not, and, that's what people have learned, gleaned from it. Right. That's what they take away. And that's the point that Moraine is trying to make to us is just because, you know, most of the world has interpreted the prophecy a certain way doesn't mean that that's exactly what it means. Yep. Um, but there's a few other things she mentions, and she admits that these don't really have uh, a known meaning. So there's something that is said in the prophecies about he'll slay his people with the sword of peace and destroy them with the leaf. Mm-hmm. No idea. I, mean, I don't know, you know, the sword of peace sounds interesting. Um, I don't know how you destroy somebody with a leaf. Um, maybe we'll find that out in time. You're, you're chuckling, giggling. <laughs> uh, that's because I know what all of these mean. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you do. Uh, um, but I will say this, this is some great foreshadowing. I'm looking forward to it. I, and, and, you know, I know a few things that maybe come into play, but I, I'm not going to say anything else beyond that. Uh, I was drawn to the next one that I have on my list. Is he? It says he shall bind the nine moons to serve him. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a reference to the nine moons related to the Shan Chan? Was there? I, I want to say I remember reading something about that. I don't remember because <laughs> uh, it stood out to me uh, when I read it, and I think it was a connection with the Shan Chan. You can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I am going to check real quick because I can't confirm 100% that that was if it was it was in the end of book 2. Okay. And I want to make sure before I say anything cuz I don't want to spoil stuff. All right. So um, I'm going to Google for a second. Well, you you while you're looking that up, I I'm just going to mention these um last two something about uh wounds of uh he, healing wounds of madness and cutting of hope. And then breaking chains or putting someone into chains. These ideas come through uh, with um, with these prophecies as well. And again, uh, the reason Moraine is mentioning all of these is because nobody really knows what they mean. Uh, every They are a mystery, and the point is that um, you can't always take prophecy at face value. 
And just because people say it means one thing doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Yeah, that's the the real takeaway here. And definitely do, listeners, uh, remember these. You know, make yourself a note. Uh, Because I'd be interested to see when it is that uh, you guys start to think maybe some of these are being fulfilled or not. So, you know what? I'm going to have to... Stay quiet on that for a little bit and <laughs> okay. do some more research. Maybe I will have an answer for you all next time. Okay. Because uh, I'm um, not finding it a quick answer, and I'll have to actually do the reading myself to look it back up. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put a pin in it. I should have put it in the doc so you could have been ready for it. Uh, that's that, all right. That's on me on that Gives on the listeners something to look up for next time. They can there do you. some research, too. There you go. We'll all have the answer. Or, or we could we could make it part of a Q&A. I don't know. Uh <laughs> Um, all right. Um, what else we need to talk about as far as, uh, prophecy dreams, what's going on with Perrin and Rand? Um, you know, there is a, an interesting little tidbit and I just have to make a point of it, uh, with when Perrin is thinking about everything that is happening with Rand and when Moraine starts to ask him and actually asks him if, she he will come with her and land to go after Rand. Right. And it's when he becomes to that conclusion that he is bound to Rand. And he does so because he makes reference to a certain flicker flicker that happened in book two. Yeah. And certain. the only real glimpse we get to what he may have seen in those lives he lived is that they led him to believe that no matter what, his life is bound with Rand. Yeah. I had it written down as since a journey by portal stone <laughs> yep. had convinced Perrin that his life was bound to Rand's. So yeah, and that is what you're talking about the the flicker, flicker, flicker. Mm-hmm. We got to see everything that was going on in Rand's reality. I want to say in his head, but it wasn't really in his head. He was actually living those lives in a way. Yeah, um, we didn't. I mean, we got hints at. What some of the others were. I don't think we really got any clues about Perrin. No. But uh, we, other than the fact that the wolves were present in all of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. But we do get this here that he is convinced that his life is is tied to Rand's. Yeah. Uh, and, and I probably, actually... Probably as Loyal would say, to Viren. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I will say this, and this just occurred to me because we're talking about it now. But... I wonder, because we saw this shift in Perrin at, uh-huh. at, in book two. We saw him, when the sniffer disappeared, he took up the, the role and was giving into the wolves. He was using the wolves. He was kind of coming to this level of more acceptance. And then all of a sudden we start this book and he's like fighting against it again. I'm wondering if what pushed him back away from the wolves was what he saw in the portal stone. Because hmm. when they are, it, correct me if I'm wrong, when they come out of the portal stone at Falma, we see Perrin doing that thing again that he likes to do where he's like holding his eyes. Yeah. And like, uh, it makes me think that maybe the experience he had there is part of what for, like made him decide to try and push the wolves away. Hmm. And that's interesting. I, I don't remember it in that much detail, honestly. Um, cause like I, I said, re- it 
it only just occurred to me right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember it. anything, so so I'm going to take your word for it that he was reacting that way when they came out of the portal stone. It it seems it seems like it would be that way, like yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but whether or not that was actually there, I can't say because I don't remember. Um, yeah. I trust your memory on that one. Yeah. All right, so we've got to go after Rand. Yes. Well, some of us have to go after Rand. Correct. Um, yeah. Not every not everybody's going after Rand. Uh, the Shinarans are going to Gildan, right? Yeah, to um, Johanna. Okay. Um, Specifically, which, that's she's. She's giving them enough money to to reach Johanna. Is yeah, basically it, what Uno protests at first, but you know, there's no way the majority of the Shinarans are making a, a hard trip towards towards Tier. Um, no. they can get to a certain point, and then Moraine will call for them when they're needed. Right. Um, another group would be Moraine's group, which would include Moraine, Lan, Perrin, and Loyal. Um, which she appears to give them a choice. Yeah, but even as Loyal says, the only reason she really asked is because she already knows the she, answer. She knew the answer. Uh, where's men going? What's men going to be up oh, to? Poor, poor, poor men. <laughs> oh my! I, I actually kind of feel for her on this. Yeah, she honestly has the most like of all the people. Like she is in the most danger. Yeah. Uh, and you know she's not even being given like she's not like she. Moraine could have said, "All right, you know, pick your two best men, send right. her, send them with her, keep her safe." No, she's just like, "All right, men, take a horse if you have to. When that horse dies, steal somebody else. Another horse." <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, "All right, men, be a one-woman army and make your way to Tarvalin, <laughs> because your life and the life of the Armelin seat might depend on it." <laughs> How's that for a burden? <laughs> Not to mention, um, troubling. Yeah. <laughs> that the, the, the life of the leader of the Aes Sedai de could depend on men traveling by herself, making it to Tar Valen. Yeah. That is ominous. That's it the is word very I was looking ominous. for. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's all we're given. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, before they depart, Men pulls Perrin aside, needs to speak to him alone, because despite everything that Perrin had said in the past, he didn't want to know what Men saw when she looked at him. Yeah. He needs to know these things. She has had more views because if I remember it correctly, these things were not there before, but at the moment that she, that he agreed to go with Moraine after Rand, that's when she saw them. Yep. And so uh and once again, we I don't think we can one of these I think maybe we can give some information, maybe a, a thought on, but the rest of them, uh, we just list them and wait and see what happens, I suppose. Uh, yeah. I do want to make one point real quick before we actually dive into the specific things that she's seeing here. Okay. 
Um, so I mentioned it earlier and I want to bring it back around. So we've talked here about prophecy and now we're talking about men's viewings. And I want to make it very clear that they are two very different things. Uh, yeah. What men does is not foretelling. It is not what Elida does. It is not what the people who wrote down the prophecies did. They were given visions. That is not what men does. Right, right. Uh, what men is doing is she is seeing glimpses of the pattern itself. Right. And that is, in, is incredibly important with what happened right here where Perrin made a decision and then the visions appeared. Okay. That is because Perrin being Taviran, he had a choice that he made in that tent in choosing to go with Moraine. He could have chosen not to go, and that would have altered the weave of the pattern. The pattern changed according to his choice. Yeah, and so because the choice he made, that set him into chain in a chain of events that's going to go forward, and then Min is able to see those events. Because if he had made a different choice, she would have seen a whole different set of visions. And now I would like to kind of like to know what those would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, so here, here's what we have. We have an Aielman in a cage. A Tuathan with a sword. That doesn't make sense. Um, a falcon and a hawk perched on his shoulders, and she mentions both of them are female. <laughs> so those are, I guess, those are really the three new visions. Uh, there's one thing she starts to mention but doesn't complete. It's something that was always there, and that's darkness swirling around him. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that other than, you know... I think that's <laughs> one that, uh, you know, she she makes allusion to... When Rand, Matt, and Perrin, and all of them are together, how the darkness is encroaching and the light yeah. is trying to poke through. I think it's more of that. It's yeah. just that darkness. It's the fact that the shadow is ever-present in trying to sway him to the shadow or snuff out his light. Yeah. Uh, the last part of what she tells him is... If he meets the most beautiful woman he's ever seen, run. Yep. <laughs> and and there's this moment where Perrin is kind of, you know, thick-skulled again and <laughs> <laughs> poor, bless his heart. You know, he really doesn't know how to talk to women. <laughs> no. But um, she even tells him in that moment, if you forget everything else... Don't forget this one. If you see the most beautiful woman you've ever seen, run. Yeah. Which, um, hasn't he already seen the most beautiful woman he's ever seen? Or at least up to this point. Yes, but he doesn't remember. Uh, in, in his dream? Yeah, he doesn't remember. It specifically says the only dream he remembers when he wakes is the dream, like, that he fully remembers is the dream with Kalendor. Oh, okay. okay. Those other two so, he experienced, but they faded away when he woke. So that would explain why he doesn't really react to that. I was curious about that, why he didn't yeah. really have any kind of 
reaction to that. Okay, that makes perfect sense then. Okay. Um, But we know (laughs) he he has seen such a woman, and we know, or at least we think we know, we're like 99% sure we know who she is. Yeah. Um, Someone whose name was actually mentioned earlier in the chapter, and Perrin really didn't want to talk about. uh, Yeah. Uh, Lanfear, one of the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. So, and we didn't really even get into that. We, we There is some discussion of the Forsaken earlier in the chapter, but I don't know if it was anything really new. Just that, talking about how they're basically used as boogeymen. Yeah, and and I think we mentioned a little bit about how powerful they are, but... Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? If, if she's one of the Forsaken, yeah, I agree. Run. Yeah. <laughs> get out of there as quick as you can. But that's um, also a very vague warning. That's true. Like, men could... Men has seen Lanfear. They had the encounter at the end of the book. He, She could give him an honest description of the woman. Instead, yeah. she just leaves it vague and says, the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. That can be pretty <laughs> subjective, depending on who the guy is. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't know. I don't think it's the most... I think her heart's in the right place, but her... Could be a little more specific here. She doesn't have to be so darn cryptic. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, we do have those other viewings that, uh, at some point, maybe we'll get answers. Yeah, I feel like at some point we will get answers. I can um, tell you that at some point you will get answers for all of those viewings. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, looking forward to that. I. This is this is one of my favorite aspects of reading these books and and at least in some degree rereading them because some of these I do know more about but um trying to figure out what these visions mean and then trying to identify when they're fulfilled. Yeah. You know, when they come when they come to fruition. So I'm excited about that and uh, I still to I keep saying it. I still need to make us like a, an, an official list, yeah, uh, so we can keep checking on it. <laughs> and there, there's a, a significant thing for our listeners to keep in mind here uh, that I want to drive home uh, with this. So, with men's visions, what you're looking for as you're reading for those is for them to take place, as opposed to when you are looking at the prophecies that are mentioned. You will need to approach those as a mystery to figure out if what just happened was that prophecy being fulfilled or not. Men's visions are concrete. The prophecies could unfold in hundreds of different ways. So it's up to you as the reader to be reading and to try and decide if you think what just happened actually is fulfilling that prophecy. Or maybe you think it is, but then you find out six books later that no, that prophecy was actually talking about something completely different. <laughs> uh, we're on. We're 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 in for a ride, aren't we? <laughs> you it's know what? So much fun. You know what? I'm here for it. I'm excited. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's get into some final thoughts. I only have one this week, and that's that Neverborn are the worst. That's it. You know. That's the final they- thought. They are are pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. I will def yeah. There is not much more sinister than than Everborn. 
maybe the dark one or the forsaken, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't even know. I think the dark one I don't know. That would be an interesting discussion at the end of the series. Yeah. Well, for this mm-hmm. week, Neverborn are the worst. Yes. I would definitely agree. Uh what about you? Any final thoughts? Uh no, just uh, buckle up because, like, he, like the ca- chapter says, the hunt is beginning. Yeah, and, uh, and not not the hunt that we had in the last book. This is a new hunt. Nope. Yep, a new uh, hunt. Uh, the hunt for the hunt for the dragon reborn. Yep. So it it is a uh, speeding up. We're finally finished with uh, almost like the prologue chapters, <laughs> and we're now getting into. It's like this is where the book actually kicks off. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to ready to go. All right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and end it there for this week. And as always, to everyone who has stuck with us through this episode and maybe more episodes, we're so thankful that you are here to join us for this ride and let you know, remind you that new episodes are set to release every Tuesday. Well, I guess not every Tuesday because uh, we do. Uh, at least this season, going to take a week off here and there for the holidays, that kind of thing. But normally you can find new episodes on Tuesday. Uh, make sure that you get them when they're released. You can subscribe uh, on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on. Uh, and if you're able, leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, in between episodes, you can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. You can email us all of that information, uh, handles and email address, and all of that is available in the show notes. You can find that there. So, Stephen, what are we discussing next episode? So next episode, we are going to attempt to tackle chapters 7, 8, and 9. All right. So looking forward to that. Three chapters. For our next episode and go ahead and be reading those and looking forward to having that discussion next week. Anything else? No, just uh, hope everybody has a great rest of your week. All right. Well, again, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next time. So long, everyone. See you, folks. 